Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, I have an important question for you. The listeners, the world wants to know, did you finally get some sleep this week? I did. And in fact, my mother called me on Wednesday or Thursday um, because she only listens to the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Hello, Noel's that's, mom. That's awesome. Yeah, that's how she finds out how I'm doing since I kind of forget to call her some weeks <laughs> and so she listens to the beginning of the podcast to find out how i am so mom i got some sleep um this week uh, so you don't need to call me next week i guess maybe no call me next week it's fine um yeah no i got some sleep this week um after getting my summer routine of blackout curtains and reading and not looking at screens for like an hour, hour and a half, which is important because blue light activates your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and activates activity brains, which is why cell phones and televisions in bed, while lovely, are also kind of bad for you at some point, especially me during the summer. I can do them during the winter, no problem. Well, I think I speak for the entire listenership and I say, first of all, it's adorable. And your mom sounds very sweet. <laughs> and you should call your mother. Why, why are you taking her side, Kate? I'm I don't just need this saying. Kind of grief. I'm just, I'm just saying, call your mother. She sounds mm-hmm. lovely. Um, but more importantly, I'm very glad that you got some sleep in our, uh, if your body's adjusting to, to the summer, at least somewhat. <laughs> yeah, no, that's um, going to be me tomorrow at the, the protest rally or family thing. Yeah. The family's, uh, the, 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 the rally. Okay. Families belong together, right? That's the hashtag. I think so. Yes. My person's going to it tomorrow as well. I'm staying home to do any last minute prep for our housewarming that we're having tomorrow. Yeah. But yeah, I will be like, it's supposed to be 95 or something. I'm going to be slathered in sunscreen. (laughs) I had to go buy shorts. I don't, I'm not a shorts person, but I had to go buy shorts. Shorts are an affront to humanity. I don't know why people wear shorts. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Good for the people who like them, I imagine. Nah. Just... Anyways, um, so yeah, that will be me tomorrow, Noel. Never you fear. When you see me next week and I'm all red and peeling, it will be because of the our dread enemy of the sun. Uh, it's we... 66 degrees here tomorrow, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and no yeah. sun. That's, that's, very, that's, that's very different than what it will be in <laughs> Chicago. Oh, well, um, we can talk about that next week. This week, we want to talk about very briefly some of the listener feedback we got. First of all, we got a shout out from Carl. Thank you, Carl. We, I, we always appreciate getting those. Like every now and again, mm-hmm. Carl will be like, by the way, guys, good job. Thank you for doing all that work. And we really appreciate it. So thank you, Carl, for listening. Oh, and yeah, no, thanks, Carl. But also, Kate does all the work. I just show up and dab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to listen to, to this podcast with me by myself, Noel. So you do, trust me, you do plenty of work. You do so much work. I'm grateful. Have you tested that theory? Constantly for all of the work that you do. Um, we also heard from Vince at the website uh, with this awesome long comment. So listeners, I encourage you to go over to the org and read the whole thing. We're not going to read the whole thing here, but... 
just a few parts of it. Uh, so thank you, Vince, and please do keep reaching out with your thoughts each week. Um, he <laughs> said, yeah, he was watching Cloak and Dagger last week, and, and apparently when Tandy jumps into the lake, uh, the first his first thought was, oh, Kate and Noel aren't going to like that. Um, well, Will predicted, Vince, yes, <laughs> we are on brand. <laughs> Absolutely, apparently. That was very nice. Um, and so so he has some more thoughts about why that, that, that Tyrone and Tandy – uh, conversation wasn't working for him, um, you know, it being out of character and not really matching what we'd been seeing. And, um, and then it's sort of like expecting it to fall into damsel and distress and knight in shining armor kind of motifs. Um, but just, you know, at like, not cause that's the kind of show that necessarily this has shown itself to be so far, but that it would fit with the, some of the character beats more. And then that doesn't happen. Um, uh, so, so th- those were interesting comments, and uh, certainly ones I appreciated. Um, for this week's episode, he had some thoughts about it. Um, now you haven't seen it yet, so I'm not no. gonna say the spoilery things. But there's a par- spoilery that. paragraph. Um, go check it out, listeners, at the website. Like I said, um, but yes, I agree, Vince. And well, t- I'll talk about that more when we get to it in our week in TV. Um, there's some, yeah, some. Interesting writing this week. Okay. Some things that he is liking, though, Tyrone and Evita and uh, the, their, the the intertwining sort of of Tyrone and Tandy's powers and what's going on with that so far. Um, there's some that, – that's featured in this week's episode. And then um, Bechdel test jokes, always fun, the pacing. And he wants to know our thoughts about Evita as a character – Apart from her family connection to Voodoo, he writes, and her aunt 3D printing Voodoo dolls of her guys, <laughs> like the niece's dates, um, her, quote, really seeing Tyrone, I feel like we need to learn more about her, and soon, otherwise she'll only feel like a pretty girl that our male hero kind of has a crush on. I'm not sure Tyrone feels as much for her as she does for him. I fear she's being uh, built up as a chess piece that will eventually be used against Tyrone once he's got, you know, he gets more control of his powers and takes more uh, action um, in his, uh, you know, his investigation of, of Connor. Um, maybe it's just me. Um, this is Vince. Maybe it's just me, but having read the Wikipedia article and knowing too much, but I'm going to be watching that closely. And I really like Evita and Tyrone together. So, so Noel, how are you feeling about Evita? Um, I like her so far as well. And I'm intrigued by the use of voodoo, and especially and also in like relation to Marvel's televisions anyway, continued interest in magic, I think is really fascinating so far um, between like some of the stuff that we'll have with Luke Cage this week, but also with what they've done on some of the other um, whatchamacallits on some of the other Netflix shows um, and even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to a certain extent um, in season four. Um, that this use of magic I find really fascinating and a good way to, for them to do a number of things on a budget TV budget basis that they can't necessarily do a whole bunch of big cosmic space stuff, which is what the movies are shifting to. So shifting to this, I think makes sense from a television perspective and allows some sense of differentiation since television and film are basically within the corporate structure of two separate entities at this point. Um, but as for Vita, I really like them, but I do worry that she'll end up being kind of used, as Vince suggests, used against Tyrone in some fashion, which will be very sad. Yeah, I'm really liking the performance, actually, yeah. 
a, a lot. And I feel like the character has, because of that performance, the character has more specificity than we usually get in these like early love interests who are probably going to have a doomed tragic end um, kind of characters. Uh, so I would love to be wrong about that. I hope I am. I hope I, it's a full on Supergirl and I'm totally wrong. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sort of on the same page as you are, Vince. And um, we will talk more about that when Noel is all caught up. But for now, <laughs> we uh, will be talking Luke Cage at the end of the show, Luke Cage season two, and really diving in with our thoughts on that season. Uh, but it's a it's a lighter week in TV this week, mostly because it was a sh- another shit real world week. So I just didn't have the mental space to watch anything intense or violent. So I'm behind on my viewing. Whereas I like watched Luke Cage for like three days straight to get those 13 hours in. And then I just went, I'm going to watch a silly kids show and then get a jump start on glow since we're <laughs> doing that next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying like the dichotomy is like, I could watch this or I could like I could watch YouTube a little bit more or watch the break again or I could watch Queen Sugar. I know it's really good, but I also am pretty sure that it's going to be intense and there's going to be some beautiful things and some sad things and just I can't take the sad things right this week. So last week I was so excited cuz I was all caught up on my viewing and now I'm behind again. But Oh, well, there's still is hashtag peak TV. There's still plenty of TV for us to talk about. So we're going to take a break and come listen to a little, uh, little, listen to a little Janet and come back with our week in TV right after this. That was Nasty by Janet Jackson, uh, featured oh so memorably on the this week's RuPaul's Drag Race finale. Um, we, we're going to have thoughts on that. Uh, after we talk about the finale, we'll move over to Pose. Uh, I'll have a few thoughts on The Fever, then Dietland, Plum Tuckered. Uh, then Mich- the break with Michelle Wolf had a particularly entertaining segment that I wanted to talk about, so we'll, a few thoughts on that. Uh, the Knoll's going to give us a little preview of Glow Season 2. And how far are you on that right now? Five episodes, I think. Five, Five or six. six. Okay. Yeah. And then I'll talk briefly about Cloak and Dagger, Princeton Offense before Noel uh, keys us in with The Hollow, which is an animated show on Netflix. And we'll round things out with DuckTales, the golden lagoon of white agony planes. Because it's just, it's just so lovely. Um, first up, though, is RuPaul's Drag Race, which had its finale, grand finale. And, um, okay, we're going to have to get to all of that. But let's start with the stuff that we liked. So, uh, how I liked the first about half of it. I thought, I mean, it was obviously very stretched out, but how did, like, all the 
10 year retrospective kind of stuff work for you seeing all the other queens back like the season one versus season 10 what did you think of the structure of that part like basically filling time and doing ads for rue until we got to the lip syncs um it was fine uh someone who hasn't seen season one that was all just kind of like I appreciate their acknowledgement of the legacy and where the shows come from. And given the results, it seemed especially fitting for <laughs> them to do that. Um, and so it was fine. Like I, I enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily think too much about the season one and season 10 lip sync sort of duet type of thing, which just didn't really land to me because there wasn't a lot of room for them to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the looks back were good, and I appreciated that they brought back those, um, the previous queens, especially to deliver questions, which I thought was really amusing in a couple of cases. But it was fine. Um, I, nothing really, I'll freely admit that nothing in this finale really clicked for me Mm -hmm. overall. So all those parts were fine. Um, I really legitimately would have preferred like more time having like questions and small interview segments with the finalists as opposed to what we got. Yeah. Um, I certainly would have been all for more like fan questions or, um, in the past they've had, you know, I wonder why they didn't do this in the past. They've had celebrities call in support for each Mm -hmm. queen that's in the finals. And I wonder, maybe they couldn't find one for Cameron. Mm, I wasn't going to say that, but, uh, hmm. they got Oprah to show up. I feel like that's enough of a get. Well, and it seemed like instead of finding support for the Queens that were in the finals, they just like rounded up people to tell Rue she's awesome. Um, so I mean, I guess it's a victory lap at 10 seasons. I get it. But, um, I mean, come on, guys. Uh, the 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 audience questions or fan questions I thought were pretty good. The the I enjoyed the lipstick thing. I wish they hadn't phrased it or like kind of couched it as sort of a battle between season one and season ten because none of those queens were dressed to move. Right, they were glammed out for like the wide shots and for like maximum visual effect. They were not <laughs> dressed to be able to bust a move. Most of them, so that s- some parts, like I was thinking, especially of Dusty, uh, w- with like the strappy kind of belt kind of thing, mm-hmm. which she just couldn't move. So of course, it's not going to be particularly compelling. But I did like, you know, as much as it was very blatant, I did like the bopping through Rue's catalog a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, my connection with that is is not really with RuPaul and the songs themselves, but more the times that they've come up on the show and been used sure. for different challenges on the show. So that was sort of, for me, a fun way to kind of relive some of those moments. Um, yeah, let's... The, the, the question and the conversations, uh, I mean... Whew, I had trouble with the Asia one again because it felt like it was like cry, cry right now, cry for me yeah. on my TV show. Um, and you know, Asia didn't want <laughs> didn't want to, but you could tell Rue really, really did want him to cry or want her to cry. Um, and that just along with the different conversations coming off of last week's reunion and the the, the continuing conversations that I keep seeing and you know, considering myself of the show really feeding on trauma and pain rather than celebrating beauty and celebrating creativity, uh, you know, getting a little off kilter in that balance, uh, that was highlighted for me in the way that Rue was interacting, especially with Asia, um, in, in the first part, um, have I stalled long enough? Can we, 
Avoid talk. We got to rip off the band-aid. Okay, so here's the thing, Noel. Um, I don't think those butterflies actually were dead from some of the things that, that people were saying on Twitter. They just were very cold and weren't really moving very fast because yes. the AC was on because look at all those queens bedecked out and all those lights on the stage. Right. Yeah, they weren't dead. So for people who are up in arms about the butterflies being dead, they weren't dead as far as I could tell. But that it was just like Asia, man. Again, we were all rooting for you. The number of, of the, the, the Tyra clip from... Uh, Next top model. It's like we were all rooting for you, you know. Gift that I saw on Twitter it was like I felt like that's how pretty much everybody felt. And then she just did not deliver with this lip sync. It was it, it was bad. It was really it, bad. It was really really bad, and I was really frustrated because I was just like, as soon as as soon as Asia's like unscrewing this thing to, and I was just like, oh no, please don't let there be butterflies under there please please oh no there are butterflies okay no that's not going to work for any number of reasons for also so this is just many reasons also it's just wrong i don't i'm not a big fan of like on like an ethical level of that kind of a thing mm-hmm. and so i was just like okay it's just it's just it's just the one it's just the one it's fine oh no she's gonna do it again oh no and then it was like unscrewing like the things to show the nets on the at uh, the breasts and i was just like Oh, all of this is bad, and Cameron's just killing this lip sync, even without all these missteps. Cameron's doing a really good job of handling this. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, there's too much like unscrewing, there's too much like needing to get the butterflies to do the thing, which they can't do given the situation, like you said, the AC. And it's just, I'm just watching all of this going, I really like that look a lot. This is very bad. This was not planned in a way that makes sense. So yes, I everyone was rooting for this, and then it was just like, oh, RuPaul got exactly what she wanted. Yeah, yeah she did. <laughs> Which, to your point about like the interview and everything, is she got someone who doesn't feel like she is has to necessarily grow under like the tutelage of Mamaru, but sees herself on a more equal footing. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference, like what we sort of talked about in relation to the finale. Uh, sorry, not the finale, the reunion special about how Asia and Rue were engaging one another. As like this is not a this is not a deferential relationship, and it was it, like you said, Asia's fate was sealed after that reunion episode. Yeah, and so it was. It Cameron managed to basically assassinate. Asia mm-hmm. after Asia shot herself in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's just there's so many reasons that it wouldn't work, but I mean, let's just I'm just two reasons. One yeah. reason is it's not like it's a butter like ever seen have you ever seen a butterfly released for dramatic effect? Not without a close up, right? It's a swarm of butterflies. It's a field yeah. of butterflies. One butterfly is not going to read on camera ever, and yeah. Asia should have known or that. Or even even on stage, it's no, not going to read. Not at all. And second of all, the song is nasty. This has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the song, yeah. and the like. You need to draw power and inspiration from the song. And if you want to channel that into a preferred message or theme or, you know, then that's great. Then that's then do that. But it needs to work. And it didn't at all. And there was a lack of specificity to the music that Mm -hmm. was a theme throughout the evening. Um, And uh, with the exception of some of the dance moves. Um, And I thought Cameron's outfit 
for the first lip sync was fantastic. Like, yes. so Janet. Uh, I think... I'm guessing Aquarius was a specific Janet reference, too. Um, yes. But, so, yes. Yeah, but the color was so pale. And I think that was part of the point. But it didn't read on TV well at all, at least yeah. to me. Um, and it's just... It was a whole... There were so many problems, but the biggest one for me was was Asia. There was this reliance on gags and stunts because, let's be honest, that's what won last year. That's what yes. won for Peppermint. That's what won, like, like that's what took her to the finals, and that's what made Sasha win too. Now, neither one of them walked in covering themselves in a bag, where it was very clear that they were going to do a reveal. And as soon as they do that, and I've seen other people talking about this, as soon as you you go out dressed in like a silver box or in a purple just puffy thing so giant that obviously there's at least one costume underneath it or a robe a dressing gown Cameron then nobody's gonna pay attention to what you're doing they're just waiting for you to do your reveal and you completely rob the first half of your performance of any sort of engagement or energy uh it just like everybody misread Oh, man, misread what you need for a, a really connecting and powerful and successful lip sync. And then when you add on top of that, the um, just the, the, the lack of any sort of emotional resonance. Like, I don't know that these were the best songs for emotional resonance. Like, right. like structurally even, like the finale has that rap break and uh, Asia, Aquaria was like crushing that. But like... There wasn't really a chance to slow down and change your style and then go back yeah. into something else. So, like, while they were very high energy, good good songs, don't get me wrong, they were not th- songs that, at least to my limited awareness of them, I talk to me about old dead German guys and I can, we can talk all day, but, like, I'm not super pop lady. Uh, but I still think that, you know, like, compared to last year, I thought that there was more emotional resonance in those songs versus this this year. And then yeah. adding on top of that, just a lack of understanding of what you need for good lip sync. What you need for good lip sync is not referencing the sponges and referencing Miss Vangie. That's not going to get RuPaul to give you any love. Yeah. And I think your point about the songs is spot on because they're all rise all the time. Mm-hmm. They're a Barney Stinson playlist. They are Barney Stinson playlist song. <laughs> And so because of that, like you said, there's no ability to modulate a performance, which is why, especially like in the final lip sync, it's just like, it's go, 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 go. And that is really frustrating. But it was also like that in just the Eureka and Aquaria um, lip sync as well. So because Aquaria is just doing Aquaria's lip sync thing and it's good, but it's also just at some point, it's just really all over it ends up just feeling really all over the place Mm -hmm. and it's a fine sort of style but it's also basically your only option so there's no levels Mm -hmm. and levels are good as i feel like that's just something that people who perform understand after some point but when you have multiple songs in the row that are all rise it's just like but i need to come down i need like you said some sort of emotional some sort of catharsis and when that's not present it actually ends up robbing the actual result of this even though the result of it was very flat anyway of actually any sort of climax it's just all falling action ends up feeling like that and it's very weird it's to feel like that at the end where it's just like 
just sort of a shrug by the end. Yeah. Well, and also the camera work was terrible. You couldn't yes, follow no, anything that was going on. No, that third one was just a... The final lip sync was just a disaster because of the fact that there's three people performing at the same time in an unchoreographed number. It's just like, there's no way for that to be interesting on a televisual level. And I, I don't want to speak for how that reads for the folks in the theater. But on a televisual level, it's just a f***ing mess. Well, if you keep moving your camera around and you keep going close-ups on one person so you can't see the other two queens then you have no chance to gauge what they're doing how they're building what they're doing with their performance you need to step the back get a wide shot of everybody and let people like develop a rooting interest i thought it was impossible to actually gauge how they were doing in that lip sync and so the there was no way to get invested in what was going to happen because it was completely arbitrary as if it wasn't already arbitrary enough knowing that they film like the each ending of any of, of the three of them winning they film all three of them and then decide which one they're going to use later so like as though even if you didn't already know that like there's you just it's whoever you liked coming into the finale that then you're rooting to for to win yeah you know and at least with the like the massive crash and burn we got from asia like there was a clear person that you wanted rue to say the name of it's like okay well i'm hashtag team asia but cameron needs to win this so then you could care when they came back from the the commercial and rue announced who had won um and and i thought it was also a problem in the aquaria eureka thing too that first lip sync i also couldn't really follow what either one of them was doing because they're in such different spaces we needed better editing you needed better camera work so that you could make that happen and it was just man it was it was very disappointing after a season that i had been i so engaged with and so uh, invested in with this really tremendous deep bench of queens, like really terrific uh, deep bench, like I just said, uh, to get to the the last few episodes and <laughs> to be so utterly disconnected from the final result, it was very disappointing. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the weird sort of takeaway is that because the clear front runner slash obvious winner um, wasn't going to win for ostensibly like political reasons um but then also like destroyed herself (laughs) with a very bad stunt um that for me like by once once i saw those butterflies was just like oh asia's done and i don't i didn't care about what happened next um because it didn't matter because it was just like it for me it was a foregone conclusion the camera wasn't going to win and then it was just like well it's eureka aquaria and i don't care if it's either of them and that's really frustrating given how very good this season has been how really difficult this season has been um since like i routinely said that a number of these challenges should have been used in all-stars and not the regular season um because they were just hard challenges but for the most part, everyone did them really, really well. And that was to purvey that into the finale was going to be impossible, especially when you're just going to end it with a lip sync battle. And when you're setting yourself up to succeed in a way of like having a three-way lip sync battle so that you have options (laughs) is also just, it ended up, feeling too manufactured which is a larger problem that this season had going to the end of like feeling a little overtly manufactured yeah 
Two thumb on the scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen some people discussing online uh, the idea of for the finale taking a more Top Chef or um, uh, Project Runway ap- approach where you give each of the final queens a budget and have them conceive and produce and put on a stage show and okay. then ga- gauge from that. And I like that idea a lot. And I feel like that might be a much, much more interesting way to do it. Um, I think because, of course, the this worked for me in like gangbusters for the season nine finale but part of why it was so successful for me in season nine was because the lip syncs that season had been weak had been like yes real bad so it was uh if only as a message to the queens no you, you bet you gotta be able to lip sync too that's part of the show it's always been part of the show you can't just glide along without being able to lip sync um but then the way that it kind of it didn't work here, it was not successful here. It really undermined the good work. So many of these queens, pretty much all the queens had done all season. I think changing it up, I don't know if they'll be willing to because they like this kind of spectacle and they like the competitive spectacle of it. Um, but I think that would be a uh, a much more interesting and much more rounded and and much more uh, thoughtful way, to, you know, like way to have a conversation about drag and what drag is and what it can be. And to highlight different points of view in drag, so mm-hmm. we'll see if they do do that. But it was discussed widely enough that I would be surprised if that didn't make its way to somebody in the production office. So, fingers crossed. That'd be nice. Are, are there any things uh, that you would like to see next season, or mostly, are you just ready for a break? I'm ready for a break. I mean, I feel like this this at the end of every reality competition show that we watch, where I'm just like, yeah. no, I'm good. And especially considering that we had season ten immediately on come after um, All Stars, I was just like, I'm definitely ready for a break. Um, so, I mean, I guess we can start watching Big Brother. Do you want to start watching no. Big Brother? No, no, okay, no. I need to catch up with Vita, man. I need to catch up with so many things. <sighs> Speaking of things to catch up with, listeners, and I know it's not your show. I'm not trying to pressure you. But listeners, I am trying to pressure you. Pose had another really terrific episode this week called The Fever, um, which featured, among other plot lines, uh, the four of the the not main characters, but um, of the main supporting characters going to get uh, tested for HIV. And yeah, because one of the characters gets really sick, um, sort of out of the blue. And the question is, was just this just a bad flu or is, you know, does he is he positive and he doesn't know that Um, and he hasn't been tested. So, you know, they they, that's part of the the episode. It was very well done. Um, The the other parts of the episode involve uh, two of the of the trans women. investigating options for physical enhancements to make them to like to make their bodies you know physically more femme and more curvy uh, of course they don't have a lot of money so that's you know the the, the discuss you're looking at different levels of safety and then weighing that in money versus the you know, the, their level of comfort or lack of comfort in their own skin and in how the world perceives them and what, you know, what they're willing to sacrifice for these different things. And I thought that was, uh, you know, again, another really interesting and uh, well done subplot and, and part of the discussion of, of these characters' lives. I really uh, like the addition of Chris Maloney as the rich boyfriend of one of our leads 
and uh, the discussion about whether one of the trans women is going to have gender confirmation surgery and how that impacts her life and, you know, the will she still be accepted by her boyfriend if she has the surgery? Is her is she an object of, you know, fetishization um, rather than an actual person? You know, like, so is she going to just get thrown out if she goes through with the surgery? And it's heavily implied that yes. And so then what's, you know, is she willing to make that choice and to give up security for this? You know, like, so it was a really, it was a really thoughtful, another really interesting episode with terrific performances. And I got to say, I'm not minding the, I, I don't even notice how long the episodes are because again they just continue to be about an hour and a half two hours per episode uh without like with commercials two hours um and i don't feel the time at all in a way that usually when shows go long you know i'm looking at my watch i'm 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 checking Mm -hmm. the time but i mean with material this uh this interesting and well engaged with and especially material like this that is not meaningfully or thoughtfully engaged with anywhere else on television i'm willing to give them so much time i think it's because there, there's so many different threads that they're following and they want to make sure they each get enough time and because they're they're giving enough time to several threads that requires the overall runtime to be longer so it's not like they're just adding extra time to add extra time they're adding extra time like a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, that's just sort of adding up as opposed to introducing extraneous threads that we don't really need or that kind of stuff. It also helps that this episode was pretty much white family in the suburbs free, which is the least <laughs> interesting part of the show. Uh, Kate Marr, it's not your fault. Um, and so that that helps too. But uh, yeah, another really strong episode and people should check out Pose. Oh man, Billy Porter's crushing it. Uh, he's the character who is uh, runs the balls and uh, is the, like the MC, and it's just so much fun to, to watch it like those those ball scenes i think i feel like i've gotten a lot at least maybe i've just learned how to watch them they feel more specific um and i feel like they're doing a better job of of conveying to, at least for me i'm picking up better why people get various rankings you know as opposed mm-hmm. to because the plot necessitates it and so, <laughs> so, so that that helps too but no it's just it's again such a such a a a wonderful show. I'm very glad I'm watching it. Another wonderful show that we're both glad we're watching is Diet Land, which continues to crush it. Uh, Plum Tuckered this week. The the truth will out. What did you think? Yeah, I like this episode a lot. And uh, the opening made me think about the fact that you're just like, I can't really show Sensei to any of my friends because of the final shot <laughs> of the finale movie. And I just went... Huh. Well, now we know how the final shot of that finale movie got made, and to a certain extent. <laughs> um, um, so I enjoyed that little bit. Um, no, I think that this episode's really good on any number of levels. One, the escalation of Jennifer to targeting collaborators, I think, is really interesting. Um, and the thorny situation in which Kitty finds herself by allying herself to a market degree. Mm-hmm. with um jennifer and how that plays out i think is really good but it basically just comes down to all the plump stuff this week for me is that um her having to go through a series of dates or non-dates uh with men as part of uh verena's uh new baptist plan and we're just 
alternately disgusting, disheartening, and horrible all across the board, though. And the way that Nash is able to just does such a good job of playing disappointment, anger, frustration, offense, that the barriers that Plum has erected that she needs to get by, but that society is also reinforced, um, just come through so well in this. And then, like, the representation of, like, her sheer give no fucks by Mm -hmm. the end with the rain cloud and everything and her decision to feel radicalized in a way um, by the end when she goes back to Calliope House is just... It's a really well-structured way to get a lot of action moving in a way that doesn't feel like it comes out of left field because of the groundwork that they've established of how Plum feels very consistently in very different capacities. And so having these dates be the breaking point, I think, is just really good. Plus, whatever... Like, it doesn't even matter about what's-his-name's reveal, Tiger Boy's reveal. Dominic. <laughs> Dominic, thank you. Uh, his reveal at the end, and I'm glad that that happened here as opposed to, like, later in the season. But it doesn't matter because it's just, like, it's the fine. It's not even the final insult. It's just an insult in a very long, bad week. Mm-hmm. So it's just really good, and I'm really excited about where it goes from here now that Plum has felt cut out from society even more so than usual, but also that Kitty has basically just cut her out as well. And so it's, I'm really excited to see what's happening next, especially with the fact that um, now what's her name is apparently the face of Jennifer and how that's going to play out. So it's just really, really good. And I'm very excited about what's going to happen next week. But how did you feel about it? I thought it was another terrific episode, and it just, I mean, Plum's got to be, I mean, is is there any other character in contention for best new TV character in 2018? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe um, Jared Harris on The Terror, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jared, don't get me wrong, really. he's great, but like, yeah. I feel like I've seen that character before, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really invested in Plum, and the. The confluence of events of this episode, like you said, felt really it was very well written, and it it felt organic rather than manufactured. When, you know, obviously it is. This is a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the specific types of awful that each of her dates are, I thought worked really well. I was gonna ask who is who was the most punchable, but obviously the answer is the feeder, because yeah. uh, that's the most destructive. And then Desmond Borges, uh, who's Borges, who's great, of course, on um, on You're the Worst, just wanted to punch him in his stupid fair trade coffee face. Yeah, like, and it, they're just different types of terrible, and I appreciated that. Um, the thing with Kitty, I, I mean, I, this portrayal of a boss, and I've, I heard um, over on Pop Rocket, which is a, it's a fabulous podcast, they were talking about Dietland, and they talked about how Kitty being this great kind of boss that is not, like, in the uh, <laughs> Jacqueline, like, brilliant editor mode, but in, like, the smart and very good at what she does and very canny. Like, she reads the... the she assesses and takes advantage of the tide or with Jennifer really uh, masterfully. She just doesn't anticipate them 
escalating when they did, yeah. you know? Um, but her not actually, but her being dumb about other things. She's not a great writer. Plum's a great writer, but she's really good at identifying talent, you know? Um, she She's really, she's good at different, very specific things while also being very obviously stupid <laughs> about other things. <laughs> and it's that, that uh, re- response um, to lash out at and then fire Plum um, was so in, in character, but I so didn't see it coming. I'm really excited about where the show is going to go next with, with Plum really un, unmoored from all but one portion of the show right now. I think they've done a good enough job developing each of these characters. That, I mean, I would follow Kitty's, a Kitty's storyline. I would follow Dominic's storyline. I care about most of these characters. I would follow an episode just at the cafe with, the, with, yeah. with you know, Plum's actual friends. <laughs> um, but... So, like, it's not like you need Plum to be at Daisy Chain for us to want to follow that stuff. But with her away from it, I look forward to seeing how they continue to intersect these storylines or if they leave it thematic. Um, so, I am, yeah, I'm very excited for what's going to come next. And I thought that the performance, certainly by the at the end, along with the animation and everything, just really all came together for a really effective end. And poor Dominic. I mean, like... What else is he supposed to do in that situation? But that just, like, talk about Strawberry the Camel's back. I mean. <sighs> yeah. That's yeah. all I got. Yeah. Deep sigh. Any other thoughts on Dietland? No. No, I'm all set. Well, then you know what I think we need? I think we need a TV roast over at the the break with Michelle Wolf. Um, her response to the last shitty week was, among other things, to do this great segment. I really like this was my favorite episode of the show so far, and it's not even that close. Um, she to do a great segment calling out uh, journalists at specifically at CNN for bringing people onto their shows who are obviously going to lie to them, giving them a bunch of money and a platform to speak, and then trying to claim journalistic integrity by condemning their lies. Uh, so I, I complete with different clips and, and, and from different hosts and everything. I really appreciated that. Uh, but my favorite segment, Oh, and the opening segment about uh, with Beyonce and Jay-Z was, was delightful. <laughs> was very good. Yeah. That writer, I, I didn't catch the writer's name, but that was a fierce Beyonce. Well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite segment had to be the teeny roast, uh, which featured listeners just like it, like a weenie roast, teeny roast. Only it was little cardboard cutouts of of the Trump administration officials, particularly those in, involved in separating families at the border, and a teeny tiny podium and little note cards, and then check. It was delightful and really fun, and the glee that she was taking, that Wolf was taking, uh, was cathartic and powerful. And uh, for someone. You know, I've been very frustrated by the what is to me bullshit talk of civility. Um, you know, I don't think you get to call for civility when you have your your foot on someone's neck. Um, that that this taking this response instead to be like, no, I'm just going to make fun of you was <laughs> um, something I really appreciate. I watched it twice this week. It was very cathartic on Friday when I watched it the second time. Um, what did you think of this one? Have you been keeping up with the break, or did you just drop in for this one? No, I've been keeping up with it. Um, it's something that I sort of watch early in the morning on Mondays, which is maybe not the best time to watch it. <laughs> um, 
But I, th- I think that the Teeny Roast is really good. I think it's probably her best desk, desk segment so far. Um, in, in part for the reason you mentioned of, like, it was deeply cathartic. It was also just really funny. But it was also in leaning into a lot of what she's become known for after the White House Press Correspondents' Dinner, which has been sparked. And I was really glad that that was happening. This was also, was this also the episode with like the media stuff at the end? Yeah, which for me was a lot stronger than uh, the Teeny Roast stuff. But the Teeny Roast just whole concept is really, really good. And she should basically do it every other week, I feel like. And she could get away with it. Um, because it's really good, it's really amusing, and the way that they, the way that she's able to incorporate the clips, but also, like, just a really steady progression is really funny, and then showing these people in miniature, basically, diminishes them, and that's really good within this, within this kind of situation, diminishing them as much as possible in a, while still critiquing them, gets to your point regarding civility, and her point regarding civility, and it's just really, really well done, and it's really funny, and then her media critique at the end of, like, why are you giving a platform to these people, why is Steve Bannon back on your show again exactly, is... Very good questions, and I've been... So I've been really enjoying this, but I do agree with you that this episode in particular is probably the strongest one they've done so far, and I think that they've found a really good groove. Yeah. I look forward to seeing if uh, the you know some of these segments... Because so far they haven't repeated a segment. Mm-hmm. Um, is, are they, if they're going to start, like, you know, rotating back in, or if they're going to hold off a while. I, knew, I do know um, there was a press release that the this Sunday's episode features a very Ivanka-centered segment that I okay. look forward to. And, um, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a nice, nice little comparison that, that she'll be using. I look forward to, to watching that. Um, any other thoughts on the break? Or is it time for Glow? From one... glamorous lady to another glamorous lady what do you think of season two right so i've only watched the first half um it's another 10 episode season um i will say that it's really good episodes four and five in particular are very strong and there is a potential problem sort of on the horizon within the show structure is that there's not a core this season that i feel whereas like some of the debbie and ruth stuff um was so front and center last uh, season that it gave everything a really strong core, but it also resulted in a number of the other women feeling really sidelined, which wasn't my favorite. Um, so this season seems to be rectifying that, but they haven't rectified it with anything that feels particularly central to everyone or to um, at least to a couple of characters enough, which is fine, I think, because a lot of what the other stuff is doing, again, is particularly in episodes four which um, deals very much with a lot of the problematic stuff around the concept of the welfare queen. And then episode five, which deals with basically sexual assault. Um, Both episodes present depictions and conversations that I think we were sort of missing within season one because of that strong focus. So having those here, I'm willing to give up that core right now anyway, five episodes in, to get these kind of conversations and to get these kinds of episodes. And to see particularly how some of the women are struggling with their characters. 
and what that means. Um, so it's really good so far. I'm really enjoying it. Um, performances continue to be really strong across the board, which isn't a surprise. They were really strong across the board last year too. Um, with the exception of like Marin, who's just still just super one note and he's very good at playing a dick Kate, but mm-hmm. that's all he's good at. <laughs> um, so, um, Crystal is getting more stuff to do this season than he did last season, which I'm very happy about. And yeah, so I'm eager to watch the next half, um, of the season. Okay. And we'll, yeah. uh, talk about it next week. I look forward to catching yeah. up and thank you for avoiding spoilers. <laughs> yeah, no that. problem. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this week on Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, Princeton Offense, we saw a, a much greater exploration by Tandy and Ty of their abilities, one intentionally and one not. Um, and I, that was certainly an exciting thing to see because it, it offers a lot of – there's a lot of potential. I, don't, I think they could have been more creative in what they showed, particularly for the hopes. I didn't, I didn't buy the hopes at all. I thought that – like. If, like the what they were getting at worked, and like how Tandy's going to use that information works really well. But I just didn't buy that that is what some, some of these people's hopes are, um, or suddenly that they would be depicted in the way it was. So that was eh. also everything with the cop is terrible. So just know that it's just really bad, <sighs> oh, and the writing is so bad Noel. it's it's just like the character decisions and like the ham-fisted dialogue and the performance isn't great like we cut i'll spoil this for you we 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 meet the cop this week we we cut to her storyline and she's having sex in the back of a police car and then gets a phone call and like goes off to work like yeah that's the I'm okay. making a really scrunched up face right that, now. That I mean, it just feels like um, the 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 strong female character thing from the first episode of mm-hmm. the break with Michelle Wolf. Right. I don't have time for feelings with my sex or whatever it is, whatever that was. I'm uh, too busy being indicted. Yeah. <laughs> I can't eat. I'm under indictment. It really it feels very much like that. And okay. uh, for considering how well they've handled a lot of the emotional character stuff with Tandy and Tyrone and their families, like it just feels like a completely different set of writers. And it's really disappointing. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But it like, <laughs> I feel like as soon as I wrote a re- positive review of this show, I jinxed it. Clearly it's all yeah. my fault. Noel. No, like, I mean, we were super, I mean, we, we've been very super into it for the first three episodes. So yeah. it wasn't just you. It was just like us singing its praises on here as well. Probably just jinxed us entirely. Clearly, clearly. There is some very good stuff, though. There is some very mm-hmm. good stuff with Tandy and Tyrone, and the, what they do so far with their abilities is interesting, and hopefully it'll steer into that and away from a bunch of really clunky, obvious writing that they're giving some of, of the other characters. And that's all I will say until you've had a chance to catch up. Now, please tell Thanks. me about The Hollow. I've not heard of this. This is on Netflix? Yeah, um, so this is a 10-episode animated uh, kid series um, from Canada that Netflix picked up. Um, that deals with three teens who wake up in basically a cinder block room. They've got no memory of one another. Their only clues to their identities are their names written in their pockets. And then they have to start figuring out how to escape. And then they go on these very weird adventures. Initially, this felt like a really strong successor to Gravity Falls. Um, 
mixed a little bit with a series of unfortunate events to a certain degree. And I was really into it. But by the end, pacing started to flag. The conceit of the show became very apparent. That kind of robbed a lot of the weirdness of the show that I was really grooving on. Especially in the first like three or four episodes. That I just went, oh, I see what they're doing. And I'm not excited anymore. And so I got very frustrated and just kind of bored by the time that I reached the end of the show. Which was really sad. Because there's a great deal of atmosphere in the beginning of it. And there's a great deal of weirdness at the beginning of it. But then the sense of clues that the show drops become too readily apparent about what's happening. And that really... I just went, oh, but I just, I got really excited. Um, So it's good. I think kids will really enjoy it. Um, There's not a lot of, like, adult hailing in this series, um, which is fine. I don't need that in a kid's series for a kid's series to be good. But it it was still, like, lacking just, like, a little oomph. Though I do like the idea that Death is very good at creating mint iced tea and cinnamon scones. Like that's that's very that's that's a very specific sort of representation of death that I enjoy. Um, there's just there's there just ends up not being enough there there, and so that was really frustrating. Um, one thing that I do want to mention, and this speaks volumes about sort of how I think, uh, especially kids targeted animation is sort of like being produced right now, is that while the episodes are 22 minutes long each episode is very clearly divided in half to the point where it's very clear that these episodes were intended to be 11 minutes long and then they were smushed together to be a single 22 minute episode um which is fine given the continuity between segments is very clear and very direct but it's results in a very disjointed sort of experience to a certain degree where you have one thing about fighting demon monks within a Japanese folklore sort of setting, and then you're exploring a deserted, creepy amusement park. These are all happening within the same episode. One leads to the other, but the the fact that they're happening within the same 20-minute span is kind of, and they're packaged that way, is a little weird. So to me, it feels like the show was, even though it's a Netflix original, it feels very much like the producers and writers and storyboarders went, okay, well, if we get picked up by Cartoon Network, we have to be in this format, basically. So on the off chance that we get picked (laughs) up, we need to do it like this. And then Netflix went, just put them all together. And so it's a disjointed experience, but it's also a production, interesting production experience about either Netflix coming in and picking up a show that someone else wasn't interested in, or the producers going, this is how we have to do things to get picked up now. And either of those things are interesting from a platform and viewing industrial experience. So that was interesting. And ended up not being the most interesting thing, but still being the one of the more interesting things that the show did. Uh, that had nothing to do with the show at all. <laughs> <laughs> but still an interesting trend to note. And uh, yeah. yeah, let's be honest, we're just marking time until Steven comes back next week. Oh, is that next week? Yeah, five days. Yes. Bomb. Oh, I did not know. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to let my person know. Yeah, very <laughs> excited. Also very excited because next week I'm going to be over on TV Party and they're mm-hmm. watching Steven Universe. 
Like, they're watching the whole show and catching up with it okay. for next week. They stole our idea. Yes, basically. But I'm okay with it because it means that they're watching Stephen Universe. So, we're going to yeah, talk about no, that that's true. next week. I'm very excited. And here we'll be talking about the new Stephen Bomb next week. I probably won't check up with the hollow. Because I was getting serious uh, uh, over the garden wall vibes. from how Yeah, you were which is another it. good comparison. Yeah. And then, then it was just like, I was like, ooh, that could be, oh, mm. No, okay. don't do it. Don't yeah, do it. It's not it's not worth the time. Um if you have kids, it's a great way to entertain them for 5 hours. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, I there's not a whole lot here that I can really recommend past like the first 3 or 4 episodes. You know what I can recommend past the first 3 or 4 episodes? What's that, Kate? DuckTales! And this week we had The Golden Lagoon of White Agony Plains, which introduces uh the uh the anti-heroine love interest Femme Fatale for Scrooge McDuck. Goldie, voiced by Allison Janney. Um, Doing a Katie Seagal impression, because my person and I were just like, who is that? That sounds like Katie Se- It's Katie Seagal. And then we just went, that's not Katie Seagal. That line delivery was a little off for Katie Seagal. Oh, no, it's Allison Janney doing a Katie Seagal impression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would not have made that connection, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I was not super interested or engaged with this character as she was introduced um, mm-hmm. But by the end of the episode, I was on board, and I thought that that did work. And uh, and and you can also just see the progression as you're watching the episode, like the way that they are adjusting the character and getting you know, like. And and I would have liked if I had more reason to hate like her, like hate watch her at the beginning, mm-hmm. to more like, that I was more invested with her at the beginning. But uh, I look forward to her popping up randomly in future seasons. Um, by the end, and I thought I thought that that. Worked very well. I thought the vo- vocal performances and the specificity and ridiculousness of the s- scenarios we found them in uh, re- really worked. And uh, I ended up having a lot of fun with this one. I did too. This episode was just a great deal of fun. Just like Jaws Cha-Ching was mm-hmm. uh, last week. <laughs> yeah. um, in part because, A, I like the fact that they bought Goldie, who's sort of a semi-deep cut from the duck from like the scrooge mcduck stories um so i was really glad that goldie was involved but i also liked the fact that to me they had to wharf webigale and beakley so that we could establish goldie as like a legitimate sort of threat to her trickster manipulative sort of um nature that we had to do that to the point where Beakley's just like, why did you invite this woman back into our lives? <laughs> <laughs> Which I very much enjoyed. Um, but I think that my favorite thing about this um, was the fact that they've built this really bizarre mythology around Scrooge in this episode that is so delightfully weird that I can't get over it. Like, their whole... Oh, I just missed missed you in that demon dimension that I was trapped in for how long have you been alive at the gold rush? And it's just like, this is very good. I'm very happy about all of this. Um, because it's just so delightfully weird. But the show does the show lingers on it just long enough for it to be delightful as opposed to get caught up in it, which is what I really, really like. Um, because I don't need an explanation for why they were both alive during the gold rush. Um, because it doesn't matter. Because it's just a little weird detail about how very bizarre their lives are that they've lasted as long as they have. And also that they got trapped in amber for like 
a glacier for five years and they're perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> and they were seemed to remember those five years, but didn't need to eat during those five years. Uh, right. You know, like it's great. And, and just like the, uh, don't worry about it is, is ju- absolutely the right way to deal with that. It also opens up so many other opportunities that they want to do future, like flashback episodes or whatever. They can pretty much set Scrooge, in any time period and we'll be okay with it uh right and that that's that's just that's just smart (laughs) for this kind of a show yeah so it's just it's fun like i my only big hang-up was is that i don't know how she got out of that gold casement without breaking it so i have questions about that or if she just had that ready which i'm also willing to chalk up to her (laughs) yeah i could buy that yeah um, so no, it was just really fun. I think that the only other thing, and I have to give my person credit for picking this up, is uh Glomgold's Indiana Jones reference. <laughs> that goes unfinished, but the whole there's nothing that you can possess that I cannot it's just it's very good and it's a very good shout out. Um, without being really overt. Um, even though as they're doing a really adventure heavy sort of episode. Um but yeah, it's just all really good. It's just the I mean I didn't know that I needed David Te- to hear David Tennant said, but I untied you from the bear as much as I needed to hear that said, apparently. <laughs> yeah, the betrayal dripping in his voice for yeah. that. It just, it's delightful. It's its very good. It's its a lot of fun. And uh, in case I haven't been obvious enough with this enough uh, yet, listeners, I needed some fun this week. So thank yeah. you, DuckTales. Thank you for this delightful romp. Uh, and on that note, what wins your week in TV? Um, for me, it's sort of a weird sort of, um, tie. So since we normally split this, um, Dietland and DuckTales, I think, win my week this week. Uh, what about you? Oh, man. Uh, Pose is really good. Mm -hmm. I really like the break. Really like Dietland. Really like DuckTales. So you gave it to two. So I'll give it to two. Pose in the break. Go team. Yay. (laughs) Oh, I should also mention, of course, I did watch Great British Baking Show as well. Uh, yeah. I also really enjoyed that, but I'm still going to And get you're it. reviewing it over at TV Club, too. Yeah, I'm reviewing it over at the AV Club. More on that later. Uh, but the po- pose and the break with Michelle Wolf for me. Now we'll take a break and come back with our deep dive on Luke Cage Season 2. Yo, I'm Luke Cage. You want to test me? You know where to find me. Ooh, got it all, man. Everybody talking about Luke Cage like he's Jesus. I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. The bulletproof black man. For the hard rocks, he's a ghetto boogeyman of their nightmares. You can get a smack with this. Really, guys? You gotta know we tried, man. I ain't no joke. 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 But one man cannot save a community. You can't keep doing what you're doing. I have no idea what you're talking about. And believe me, Luke Cage is nothing but a man. Alem is mine. Damn. Hate to see such a positive brother like Luke Cage go down like that. He hurts you. You're not invulnerable, Luke. Anyone who can take you on barehanded can't be good for Harlem. I gotta find him. What makes him so scary? We hope you never have to find out. 
for the bush mess, then I'm coming. back with the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by noel kirkpatrick and it's time to talk luke cage season two you just heard a trailer for this season and i talked a little bit last week about my thoughts i i wrote up a review uh for consequences sounds you guys can check that out over there um and you know i i was i was pretty positive on on season two and and you know what was working and what wasn't. Um, I've now seen the entirety of season two. At the time, I'd seen the first half. Uh, Noel, you've seen all of Luke Cage season two. Uh, I think what we all need, what we need to start with, the most important part of our discussion is Mariah and Shades, hot or not, go. Oh, not definitely not. Um, right? Like, yeah. how is nobody else is talking about this? I did not read this mentioned in one other review, and I'm very confused because I feel like that's an essential reason why those first episodes don't work for me. Yeah, I mean, there's through the run, there's very little sort of chemistry between them, and it's really bizarre. It's really weird. Um, I think that the show works really hard to try to establish chemistry between them but through other actions mm-hmm. but mostly i just end up getting distracted by the fact that shades and comanche belong together <laughs> and th- which pr- presents like a different sort of triangle and different sort of read on those actions which um someone over at um i think io9 wrote about and it's a good piece um but yeah there's just there's nothing there um every time they sort of like kiss really aggressively i'm just like no why why are you doing it looks uncomfortable it looks no one looks into this at all um so yeah it's 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 awkward when there's like real sizzle with uh alfred woodard and uh and of course reggie kathy like that little scene like super like oodles of chemistry there and uh i mean obviously theo rossi uh has has plenty of chemistry but like to get does do not get the peanut butter and the chocolate for like i I feel like i feel like they wrote themselves into a corner and then went like oh well let's just like have them go hot and heavy for like the very beginning and then we'll have there be enough of a like a, a friction or, or, or like a break between them that they're still together, but they're just not getting it on where we can see them so that we can deal with the fact that our, our you know, couple that we're very invested in for the season um, is not actually a believable romantic couple. Yeah, no, there's, there's just no heat. There's no chemistry and it's really bizarre Individually, these characters work when they're talking about 
business, it works. Mm -hmm. but yeah, they're great together as partners and yes. as like collaborators and as like like scheming and all that stuff. They're great, but just as yeah. soon as it's supposed to be physical and romantic and like they're supposed to have this deeper connection outside of just re respect, I just I don't buy it. Um, yeah. And it, it's just such an interesting thing for the show to get wrong because that's. Like, the show has not gotten that wrong with any other of its pairings. Uh, like, what we get here with, um, with with Luke and with Claire, I think, is terrific at the beginning. I was actually very confused. Like, they're so great together at the beginning. I was very confused at the end of the season when I guess Claire's not coming back or he sends her away or, like... Sends her away, yeah. Yeah, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that they're broken up. Well, I didn't buy the whole ending. I got a problem with the whole ending. I think it's stupid. Um yeah. But, like, considering, like, all the other relationships of varying types, I really was invested in the season. I thought the season worked um, overall very well and worked better as a whole than season one. But I think the first half of season one is still the best part of Luke Cage. So I'll go first half season one, season two, and then the second half of season one for me. What what about for you? Did it, did it come together as a whole? Or does you, do you feel like this still has the same, like, Netflix, too many episodes, doesn't really come together kind of problems? So I think your ranking's correct. And I think that what weird is that season two, I think, is structurally the soundest Netflix Marvel show so far. Um... Weirdly, I do feel like that the pacing issues of too many episodes doesn't become apparent until near the end of the season as opposed to in the middle, which is which is weird because um, it starts to feel a little flabby in towards the end for me where it's just like, oh, we're going to do another Luke protect someone while they're on the run thing. Okay, but we just did that and we already did it really well like three episodes ago. I didn't need this again. Um, and then just... I felt more so like we were running in place a little bit in the lead up to like... In like episodes like 11 to 13 to a certain extent within level 10... Level... Um, episode 10. But definitely by like 11 and 12, I was just like, oh, we're just killing time until we get to 13 in a lot of ways. Which was a little frustrating because they even like incapacitated Bushmaster so that they could do this. And I just went, oh, this is, this is mid-season stuff. Why are we doing this at the end? But everything else comes across so well and so cleanly that I didn't care as much as I normally do when this sort of sagginess sets in. Um, the only other thing I'll say, at least on like a macro level view of this, I think one of the other reasons why this season sort of works as well as it does is that while there are definitely thematic things that the show is interested in dealing with and they do a number of really solid parallel paralleling, about parents and children in this season, basically across the board. And it drives a lot of the story that it's not as like overtly heavy in its thematic sort of approach as season one, season one is, especially in the first half of season one, uh, or any of Jessica Jones season one across that, that season, um, which is good, I think, in part because it prevents them from getting either too caught up in it that the rest, anytime they deviate from that, it doesn't feel as interesting. Whereas when you set it up in a way where you're just like, 
paralleling a number of different sort of threads that everything feels a little more unified. And so that when we drop out of Luke and his dad, we can drop in on Mariah and uh, Nina, Nina, Tilda, Tilda. Thank you. Why did I think Nina? I don't don't know. know. Matilda. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Matilda. I think that's, I was doing something really weird. Um, Which by the way, just side note, their reconceptualization of Tilda comic book counterpart is so good here. It's so good, Kate. It's so good. Because her comic book counterpart is just so 70s exploitation slash controlling werewolves that (laughs) the reconceptualization here plus her setup as as probably the villain for season three is really is really good. So that's just a side note (laughs) that I think that this overall just works really well and it's really entertaining very consistently and the stakes feel really clear across the board, which I really appreciated that it's just, it's a very strong season and it's probably overall, I think the strongest of the Netflix season so far. Interesting. I would still give that to Jessica Jones. It may not be like the most compelling or the most interesting, but I think it's the most consistent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I could see I could see that argument because there are like a a couple. Well, like I I would still give it to Jessica Jones season one, but like I think that the whole we're going to trap him in a tank is a major weird thing that Jessica Jones does that makes no sense. Yeah, but pacing... <laughs> the rest of the episode is so... Those episodes are so good that I don't care. But the pacing here is definitely better. Yeah. And like you said, it is so strange when we get to the end of the season and like episode like 9, 10, 11, that's when you start to feel the lag, right? 10, 11, not, not in like... Seven. seven, six, seven, six, and eight. seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the issue I had with this season is I feel like there's a couple things. I feel like they uh, got to the end of the season and they were just so committed to this idea of the villain who loves who still loves in the city and they're 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 a villain and they're evil and they're doing all these bad things, but they do still love Harlem anyway. Like there's something noble about them. And so then they were so in love with that for Mariah <laughs> that then when they when they like undermine that for her, they then give that storyline to Bushmaster and then they give it back to Mariah again. And I don't I don't think you get to like commit to that and then undermine it and go, ah, ha, ha, but really they're just out for themselves and then go, well, but really, I guess. But no, she did. She does still love Harlem like. You know, like, I don't think you get to do that. And I don't think it was an appropriate, uh, I, I thought it, it it was not appropriate for Bushmaster. Like, for what we had seen of Bushmaster, it was just too much of a, tem- a attempt for a sympathetic pivot for him. And maybe that's what they felt they needed to get Matilda where they took her to. But I think, it, I mean, it really didn't work for me. And that was a big part of why the end of the season started treading water. And like, because I just wasn't invested in the character turns that they were trying to get me to to invest in the stuff with misty knight early on i don't quite buy but like at least i could go with you know because she didn't follow through on her early you know i didn't buy her planting evidence so i thought that like they tiptoed to that line and then came away from it and so i thought that that mostly worked um i thought that the 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 stuff with matilda and and with, uh, with with Mariah really worked, especially that amazing sequence um, with the two of them in the panic room, or no, at, sorry, at Danny Rand's 
like not actual completed pharmacy, building. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The the we call the rich guy we know so that we can have a building to hang out in. Um, yeah, God, that absolutely. scene. That scene. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. it goes there, on for so long, but it has to, and it just Alfred Werder just kills it. Yeah, yeah. And so, so for me, when I get to the end of the season, I, I, I. I don't buy the turn for Bushmaster, and therefore, like, I don't really buy the turn for Matilda. I mean, more, more, but not really. Um, and certainly, I don't buy a lot of the stuff they're doing with Black Mariah. Um, I think they can't make up their mind, and that's not the point. It's not that she can't make up her mind. It's that the show can't make up its mind, in my, my like, my read of it, at least. And then the end with Luke, I thought was just stupid. I didn't buy it. I don't, Like, they're trying to, at least they laid out with mariah like that she's messing with him from beyond the grave i like that a lot um but i don't like why where did he get that suit from he doesn't have any money just because you are now you're running a club she she didn't give him a bunch of money she gave him a business that he could run and this idea that well everything flows through harmless paradise if you're running drugs it does but luke but yeah and guns (laughs) you're not running drugs and, and guns so why would at least I can look down on all the things that are happening and, and keep track of all the bad things that are happening. It's like, you just told all the other gangs to get out of Harlem and they're not doing any illegal things in Harlem. So this doesn't work. <laughs> so the, what they're trying to sell, I was not buying at all. So it, like the idea that he's in charge of the underworld now, like when did he become in charge of the underworld? Like when is he... Dealing drugs? Is is he selling guns? Because I did not get the sense that he was. And yet at the same time, they want us to think that he is like the godfather now. It just, it, it that all collapsed for me. And it was like, this, they had this idea of where they wanted the season to end. And it was basically with the crown, with, with Luke sliding away from putting the, the biggie crown on his head and then replacing it with Muhammad Ali. Like that... That's where they wanted to get to, and so they just kept turning and twisting things until they could get to there in the last few episodes, and that's part of why that just that, that whole part did not work for me. Uh, did it work more for you? No, um, but I'm less annoyed by it because it just feels so aggressively comic booky that that's where they decide to end. That's true. That I'm sort of just like, okay, sure, but I think everything that you're saying is correct. Like, I mean, he's able to set off. Harlem basically and it's just like seriously guys just don't do it because I can't be killed like mm-hmm. you keep shooting me and I just keep coming back um so a lot of this feels to a certain degree like they're setting up for certain things in like other shows too which is potentially what's happening like I mean there's something of a power vacuum in now that Mariah's gone and the Stokes are gone. And the Italian gangster played by the woman who was the detective on um, Law and Order Criminal Intent for like 12 episodes. Um, mm. I really liked her character on Criminal Intent. That's how it all right? Yeah, it's a, yes, yeah. thank you. Um, is She's coming back for season three of Daredevil. Um, so they're setting up stuff here. But it's also, I think that they really wanted to shake up status quo. And to a certain degree, they're shaking it up just for the sake of shaking it up because they, I think that they know that they can't do seasons one and two again because that's all that they can, that's all, that's what they were setting up with like Tilda's 
frustration with not getting the club, with not getting Harlem's Paradise, with not getting that desk, basically. Why does she want that desk? She's no, a doctor. She like has her practice. She has her her like her holistic shop, right? Yeah. We never get the sense that she wasn't happy just running her shop. Yeah, and I think the progression of that works when you're watching it, but as soon as you step away a little bit, you're just like. Uh, that doesn't really make sense, apart from the realization that she had a connection, that she wanted this, she wanted something of her family still, which gets to like larger thematic type stuff about family that the show is very obsessed with in this season, um, since that's what's motivating Bushmaster the entire time. Um, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't make sense. So it's sort of frustrating, even as much as I am eager to see how they, if they're going to pivot her, how they're going to get away with that and have her basically come at the sheriff now that Luke is fashioning himself as. Yeah, a sheriff in a fancy suit. Like, it just, it doesn't make, it's so not who Luke is. It's never been who Luke is. And I don't buy it him wanting that or being that or just because you own a club doesn't mean you now go sit at the bar every night that doesn't make any oh god it's not how it's not how these things work okay i'm thinking too much that is not what we're supposed to do let's talk about alfie woodard uh because as amazing as she is and i mean just full stop alfie woodard is amazing it is known um as amazing as she is in significant parts of this season i also really struggled with her performance in other parts i couldn't tell like it felt like she was completely separate from the character we saw in season one to me i didn't buy her as a successful politician at all she seemed like she was constantly drunk as opposed to able to turn that on and off when she needed to and at the beginning of the season when she's theoretically still functioning as some sort of a city official or at least a respected member of the community i i didn't think they earned that um and like I thought the second half of the season when she gets more unhinged was more successful. Um, but I really had trouble with with that performance early on. Um, and I, I think I'm the only one. Uh, I haven't seen anybody else who similarly struggled with that performance. Uh, but I, and maybe that's the whole point. We're, we're supposed to think she's like slowly slipping and she's uh, drinking more and more. Um, I don't know. But... I guess I connected that in with my larger issue with the the Mariah Shades relationship. Yeah. I think that there's a degree that the writing's at fault there. Mm -hmm. um, In that they, like you said, they keep going back and forth on her. And maybe, to a certain degree, Woodard was just like, fuck it. And I'm (laughs) going to figure this out on my own. Um, But I do agree with you that the performance veers weirdly a lot. But I do feel like that... That veering, at least legitimately, I do feel like that's a legitimate choice that Woodard's making in the sense that she's really trying to get across how much Mariah is unraveling. Mm -hmm. And for me, it works really well. Um, It's borderline Shakespearean, I feel like, in the performance level. Not necessarily the writing level, (laughs) but there's some definite, like, Lady Macbeth type stuff happening here that is really compelling and really powerful. And I think Woodard does a really good job of that. I think that what 
ends up happening is that it ends up feeling a little too one note sometimes though is the drunkenness especially that it's more so implied than anything since we see her drinking a lot but we don't see her drinking a lot Mm -hmm. um that she leans really hard on that sometimes too much so um but it makes for a really funny in a dark way kind of performance that i'm also again willing to just give her so much leeway and perhaps too much Mm -hmm. uh that i don't mind um yeah i I just i don't mind um but i totally understand where you're coming from and i'm i do agree with you to a certain extent but i chalk it more up to writing than i necessarily chalk it up to ordered um yeah but you're not wrong Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, what did you think of uh, Bushmaster and like this whole swath of new characters we got in the like from his family and the extended like his portion of the city that we see? Yeah, I really like going to uh, Jamaican Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that worked really well, and I like Bushmaster a lot. Um, I think that I think that the performance from uh, Mustafa Shakir is just really good. Um, and I think that the decision to go just on a fight choreography level to go with someone who's more acrobatic, um, and more, um, like martial arts sort of ish looking, um, is really smart to contrast to Coulter's overall shape, um, and size, but also how they have loop fight, which is basically just stand there and then punch something, um, (laughs) which is Like, that's why that first conflict with Bushmaster where he sucker punches Luke and then just knocks him out flat is just like, oh, Luke, you need to, like, get some lessons from Danny or Matt when they resurrect him? Just get get a couple of lessons under your belt and then you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I think that the character is really well done. And I do think that generally the character feels largely sympathetic, even if... His whole beef with um, wanting Harlem's paradise and Harlem in general feels more amorphous than I think that the show thinks it is. That it relies too much on him correcting everyone when they say Dillard, mm-hmm. um, which it gets. It just keeps going and keeps happening. But at the same time, sort of like with Woodard's performance, it's just like I don't care because it's such a good character beat bit that they just incorporate every time he's just like no stokes it's always stokes and so because it allows that sense that character sense to always be present to allow that motivation to always be present and i really like that even if the whole this belongs to me is a little too amorphous Mm -hmm. um but it's such a lived-in performance, and it ends up feeling such a lived-in corner of this particular universe, even if it's almost just entirely happening out of this one restaurant, that I buy it entirely, because that restaurant provides a number of different things. It provides Mariah's like final turn, but also provides Shades' final turn. It provides really good comedy when Luke comes in. <laughs> and those, those guys are just like, 
we are not impressed that you are Luke Cage at all. <laughs> and it's deeply funny because Luke is just this butt of a number of very solid jokes as a straight man. Mm-hmm. And to these jokesters that it's just really good. But everything with that's happening within that diner works really well, feels really lived in. And that's a larger thing that the show itself does really well, that it uses through Harlem's Paradise, that it uses through the barbershop. And so, yeah, it's just, it works really well for me. And I really liked Bushmaster, and I really liked this whole little subsection of characters that we got as a result of that. How did you feel about him? Well, the single smartest thing this season does is center itself on Mariah and Bushmaster instead mm-hmm. of Luke. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is absolutely fantastic, best decision I wish any of the other shows had thought to do that. <laughs> um, and, and not only because you've got Alfre Woodard use her, but then it, it lets you, it lets Luke be kind of like dragged into the middle of things, which lets him be, again, like that straight man kind of character, like that um, kind of like square jaw Superman y do gooder type, but like as a, like a grounding influence with these two very strong, you know, very big performances for Mariah and Bushmaster, right? Kind of just leavens things and, and, and centers it back down. It lets him be more, I don't know the correct age of comics, but I want to say silver agey? Question mark, golden agey? I don't know. Like, if he felt more old school comic, um, like when they're coming up to him and like, gee, sir, when, gee, mister, when are you going to take care of that, that, that there Bushmaster fella? You know, like, <laughs> like it, it felt very comic booky, but in like this really nice, kind of old school way um, that I appreciated uh, then the heroes for hire stuff kind of, I thought worked with that as well. And it also let us do these very outsized, but very intense, really terrific performances from Woodard and um, Shakir. I thought he was terrific. And uh, I was immediately captivated by that character. I thought the, um, the physicality, the like the the vocal work and the accents and everything i mean i don't i don't know i don't know if it's a good accent i it seemed like it i don't know um but like you said the the diner felt immediately lived in and it felt like it had been there the whole time we just hadn't swung the camera we hadn't gone direction to yeah yeah um so that really worked and um yeah the 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 time we spent there like just watching people play dominoes and like hang like getting to know enough of the people in in there to have a sense of the community was just it was very effective it was time well spent i did not need the flashback episode no at no. all it was just, it was really unnecessary and it was also like it was some of the worst green screen that mm-hmm. i've seen since like the ringer um <laughs> does that episode have the danny green screen danny and luke walking oh air quotes on the street because that was some that was really bad too but no that's the one with the burning building oh yeah 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 it was it was bad um they could just just cut that whole episode but um aside from that i thought that the yeah his arc and like the the stokes and bushmaster uh rivalry and everything it felt it felt earned it felt decades old like it, it it felt like a generations long grudge yes. the way that it needed to, and and so that just immediately like <laughs> he wasn't fucking around basically. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the fight choreography, 
Uh, I also noted that immediately the, because it's not just that it's a different style than Luke, which it is, but it also feels very specific to Bushmaster. It feels Mm -hmm. different than Danny. It feels different than Matt. And it like, it even just helps you keep track of what's going on in the fight scenes Mm -hmm. in a way that I really appreciated. There were, I mean, I know this is why a lot of people watch the show. There were too many fight scenes for me. I started checking out of them. I wasn't really invested in most of them, but, um, but the ones that had Bushmaster were a next tier up. They were much better. That bridge and, fight seems great. Right? It's terrific. It's very yeah. good. And, and, and like, you can't move. Now I'm going to, and you're very heavy. I'm going to drop you in water. You're going to drown. Like, yeah. that works. That's very good. Yeah. And a, and a good callback to how Bushmaster dies in the comics, which is he turns to stone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I know that because I Googled it, everyone. Um, <laughs> the other thing I want to make sure to mention, um, aside from we had to talk about Misty Knight, right. but I think the other thing that this season does really well and better than the rest of the Netflix seasons of superhero shows is that it knows exactly how long to keep its peripheral characters, mm-hmm. you know? Like, Claire is around as long as we need her. I would like her to come back at the end, but didn't buy that tension at all. Uh, I was like, just say, just admit that you can't get her on the show because she's doing Jane the Virgin. Nah, I'm okay with that. Um, but, but Bobby Fish is around just the right number of episodes for the story and to give him a, a, a use in the season and then give a reason for him not to be killed off, basically. They needed Claire and Bobby to be out of there or else Bushmaster would have killed them. Um they gave DW just enough stuff. They gave Piranha great oh, performance. God, just Piranha. enough time. Piranha's the best. Right? That's a really <laughs> terrific side character. Like, just peripheral mm-hmm. character. I felt like that was just consistent throughout the season. Um, yeah. Colleen comes by for just long enough. Gets that great yeah. bar fight. Danny oh, comes by. Still yeah. not good, but much no. better. And yeah. for just the right amount of time, if you're going to have him on there. Yeah. Um, which I understand the argument that you do considering the characters' comic book histories. But, right. um, yeah, and th- that that goes into the pacing as well. Because they kept changing it up. They kept changing who these side characters were. Like, we saw enough of Alex to care when he gets killed. But mm-hmm. not extra, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that really, I think, was something that I hope the other shows learn from. Yeah, and I think that's... I think you're super correct. Like, their ability to rotate folks out to be important or to show up to do two particular things is just really great. And even like having returning folks like Colleen, like Danny, like Foggy. Uh Yeah. Again, just the right amount of Foggy. (laughs) Right. And even, yeah, it's, everything's just like the right amount. Like it's perfectly calibrated use of both the show's supporting bench, but also like the larger shared universe supporting bench. And I just, I, I want Piranha to be in all the shows somehow, all of the time. <laughs> Bring it back because... to life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do like the idea of him just out existing in the world. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Too bad um, he doesn't, but still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was so very happy that they didn't kill off Luke's dad. Yeah, because, right? Because of the passing of Reggie Kathy, the actor, this was the last role he ever filmed. I just kept waiting for Bushmaster to kill him, you know? I just, like, just assumed that that would be in his storyline. And then it wasn't. And it just, it made me so happy. It made me so happy to see 
because so often you bring in a veteran uh, actor of a certain age to play somebody's parent so that either, you know, especially after a certain age, they're they're either going to get dementia or die. Right? That's why they're there. Yes. And specifically to die tragically and either right after you've uh, dealt with your daddy issues or right when you've exacerbated your daddy issues and made it worse. And so now that'll linger over you. And instead they gave him this lovely... This, the character, this lovely send-off, and I just was so not expecting it. it. It just made me really, it made me really happy. Yeah, it made me really happy, too. Um, in part because Reggie Cathy is just amazing in this. He's always great. And he's always great. And so I was waiting for them to kill him, like you were. And then it was just like, oh, we're not. We're going to end on a good note. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that in part because we also have to make more time for Mariah and Tilda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but it's, it's really good. There's like enough of a reconciliation, but not a, like a, an over amount of reconciliation. Between There's an James. honest amount of reconciliation right. between yeah. James and Luke. And I really, really appreciated that they, again, knew exactly the right amount to do for that. And that the situations that it happens in make sense. Yeah. I was so, absolutely watching going yeah. like, whoa, whoa. Did they just have a superhero resolve his daddy issues? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. One of the superheroes has resolved his daddy issues and now is comparatively well adjusted. And the actor who plays his dad is no longer with us. So they can't bring him back to fuck it up in the future. Luke <gasps> has dealt with his daddy issues. Yay! Yay! Um, yeah. Oh, and it was... Bronze Age, not Silver Age. So oh, Bronze, bronze Age. Thank age. you. Yeah, yes. you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other? Perform- we haven't talked about Misty. We got to talk about Misty Knight. Misty yeah. Knight is basically raised to like a co-lead for mm-hmm. part of this season, yes. and it works great. Simone Misick mm-hmm. is fabulous, and I again, I really liked the choices they made with how far to go with her awesome Danny Rand arm. Yes, um, and with the character in general, I thought again she. As we knew she would, she rose to the challenge, the actor, Missick, and the character did as well. And I thought that they just, again, they balanced that part of the show really well and and have set themselves up, if they want to do it, with a much more interesting show instead of Iron Fist, do Daughters of the Dragon, which is, of course, the Colleen Wing and Misty Knight comic. Um, Just do that instead. We'd all watch it way more. We would. Um, no, I think this is probably the best written corner of the show um, this season. It's consistently compelling from like a performance level because, like you said, Simone Missick kills. But it's the the whole trauma of losing the arm, going through that, dealing with that on the Force um, is really well done. Um, I like that there's not a lot of like I don't know, a bionic arm stuff. It's just like, okay, yeah, no, let's do it. Because the episodes that precede the presentation of the arm establish like the frustration and everything well enough that you buy that Misty would just take this pretty much right off the bat. And so, like you said, they don't overplay like its abilities or power or strength, basically, even though it's clearly there. Um, so that it's all good. And then you've got her grappling with Colleen in that really great bar fight. And it's just, it's really good. And the idea, especially after 
things are like shaking out where Luke and Misty are going through things basically to rattle a few more cages is really good. And like, I sort of missed them teaming up in the earlier Mm -hmm. episodes to the degree that they team up like toward a little bit towards the middle after they're trying to find Bushmaster. Um, It's just really good. Like the whole, get that bag out of my trunk. You're not coming to my apartment to stay (laughs) by saying you forgot it. It's just like, this is very good. And it also allows you to get those like, because it happens so rarely in this season, you get Mike Coulter smirking and grinning a lot, which doesn't happen enough in this season, but it's so good. And it's Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite things about Mike Coulter is that he's very expressive with his face. And the, when he gets when he gets to play amused or satisfied in those kind of moments, it's so good, and it's such a real nice departure. But you really only get those when he's interacting with Misty or when he's interacting with Danny, and so that we get like multiple episodes of that with Misty is just it warms my heart. Yeah, indeed, and uh, I I think they've gotten a sense for the, you know. Seeing what these different characters bring out in Luke, I think is mm-hmm. important. Yes, and says a lot. And uh, as invested as I am in Luke and Claire, I think they absolutely earned the intensity and strength of that relationship in those first episodes. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. by the third episode, um, you could also see. <laughs> I got so pissed at at, at Luke because he clearly doesn't respect Claire or women. Yeah. You know, as yeah. much as he should, he respects Misty. He respects Claire, but he doesn't respect women the way that he should. Uh, And that's going to just keep coming up in his relationships and certainly with Claire until he grapples with it and is like, don't control me, woman. Like, like, like like the stuff he was saying to her. Um, was just so ridiculous. I mean, like, I bought it. I absolutely... Yes. It was so... It was completely in character. But it was toxic masculinity bullshit um, mm-hmm. that I look forward to, hopefully, the character working through at some point uh, or, yeah. or understanding and acknowledging and moving moving past. But um, seeing what Misty and Danny, like this this version of Danny, bring out in Luke, I think is really great and and highlights the range of Mike Coulter, but also of what they can do with this character. It's a much more interesting version of the character than like looming over Harlem's paradise. So I hope we get more of that in season three. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking of women, um, can we talk about how really great Lucy Liu can shoot an episode of television? Right. (laughs) I was very excited to see her directing. Yes. Yeah, um, but I also feel like she sets in she, everyone. Uh, Lucy Liu directed the premiere of season two, and um, which is great because I mean, previously she basically had a, a slew of really good-looking elementary episodes and like an episode of Graceland. So I was really glad that she, she was available to do this kind of a very high-profile sort of sizzle reel sort of episode for them. But she also establishes like a number of really good things that I feel like get carried through a lot in this season, particularly the use of wide angle shots to which she uses in elementary a lot as well. I should note, like this is a thing that she uses in elementary, but she uses a lot of wide angle shots to demonstrate the space between characters. So like that whole sequence with Luke running into James, like towards the end and then like having them on opposite ends of the frame and really emphasizing the, 
gap between them is very like it's not subtle <laughs> but at the same time this is something that carries through for the rest of the season in a lot of ways and emphasizing the gaps between people or using those wide angle sh- wide shots to emphasize th- how people are both really close but facing apart and i'm thinking like the shades and Comanche discussion in the barbershop in which it's largely shot in a wide shot with but with both of them back to back sitting in the barber chairs talking to one another about their relationship <laughs> <laughs> and the the show continues to do that um, really well to the point where I was kind of surprised it wasn't in the Matilda um, Mariah conversation in that unfinished building. But overall, like a number of the things that Lou sets up in that premiere carry through. And I really appreciate that stylistically that gets carried through, even if it was maybe a director of photography sort of instance, which is entirely possible. But that decision carries through a lot of that season. Um, and I really, really appreciated that. And then just, man, Kate, they get so much mileage out of paintings of crowns in this show. Just so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty on the nose. But, um, and I, di- I didn't really ever, like, buy some of the, the tension with the Basquiat and all. Like, Yeah. But... You know, it's just such a fun... It was such a strong visual in season one, and... Yeah. They uh, couldn't give it up. They, like, I get it. You know, like, I yeah. fair enough, I'll give you that one, I get it. Um, yeah. They're just like, also- we're never going to use it again, don't worry, because everyone's <laughs> dead or in jail, we're not going to use it again. <laughs> but the um, the color choices with that, continuing with the red and gold and the different, you know... the, the, the we got to talk about the music, which was, again, terrific and very propulsive, Um yeah, it just it's a it's one of the best looking of their shows too. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the best looking yeah. of the Marvel shows on Netflix and just in general. Well, because you get to see shit. That it's makes like, a big difference. It's not all at night. <laughs> yeah, which is one of the best things I think about Luke Cage is that so much of it happens like during the day. Mm-hmm. Um and so that it's good. It's good. It's just, it's really refreshing to have that because there's no identity for him to have to hide at night. Mm-hmm. And, but Indeed. it's also not filtered through like a film noir sort of aesthetic that happens with Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it just, it works really well and it, yeah, it works really well. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Luke Cage season two? Uh, well, I mean, you wanted to mention the music, which is really great. And one of the things that, the show this season leans really heavily on and I don't mind is really purposeful music song choices juxtaposed against montages these happens like pretty much every other episode Mm -hmm. and I should get tired of it but I don't because (laughs) the song choices are always really perfect for what they're wanting us to connect the montage with but also all the songs are really well performed by (laughs) the various artists that come on and it's just like, is anyone here for this rehearsal in Harlem's Paradise? No. Do I care? Not at all. <laughs> um, is is there not... Is no one going to ask for a sound check? No, we're just going to do the whole thing straight through. And it's just like, okay. But it it's works. It's good. It's a good sort of break. And it keeps a lot of the show um, choices that the show's making 
grounded. And I like the addition of like the heavier reggae tones to bring Bushmaster's presence to make sure mm-hmm. that it's felt consistently. Even if he's not necessarily on screen, it's there in the scoring and then it's there in the song choices. Yeah, indeed. And it it helps distinguish Luke Cage, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. from the other shows. Yes. And I appreciated not just being everything's yellow <laughs> to <Yes>. differentiate <laughs> from the other shows. So, yeah. No, it's a strong season. And, you know, like we said, definitely the strongest second season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the best pacing i hope they're basically i hope they're learning i don't know if they are yeah but i hope they are learn from iron fist learn from the defenders and learn by not doing the defenders right (laughs) yeah yeah at least in that way um and uh yeah i think that wraps up our discussion of luke cage i think we're both tuning in for season three yes yes indeed i they announced it yet no i don't think so i mean they the the 13 Reasons Why has a season three, so I'm sure Luke Cage will have a season three, but uh, we'll see. We will see. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can email us, televerse at gmail.com, and let us know what you thought of the week's TV that way. You can find us on Facebook, like our page, and start up a conversation there. Or, of course, we're in iTunes or Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed, an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would appreciate ratings and reviews there, as well as over on Stitcher. And, of course, we are both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? at noel rk thank you kate thank you noel and listeners thank you for going to the av club and reading my reviews about the great british baking show going live every saturday at 9 a.m central time now that i've plugged pluggity plug plugged that um again thank you noel thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse (laughs) 